Please be seated for our Bible readings. The reading this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And it can be found on page 613 of the Old Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, the writer to the Proverbs introduces both the purpose and the theme of the book. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice and equity to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. The reading is taken from chapter 12, beginning at verse 38, and it can be found on page 14 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Jesus speaks of himself as the greater prophet than Jonah and greater in wisdom than Solomon. Matthew 12, 38 to 42. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon is here. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The history books record this man as one of the cleverest of all time. He's credited with making significant and lasting contributions to nearly every aspect of human knowledge, from logic to biology, ethics to aesthetics, physics to philosophy. Although he lived in the ancient world, his immense influence of his writings spread over the centuries from late antiquity through to the Enlightenment. Still today... His ideas shape so much of modern-day thinking. 
If you were to browse the growing self-help section in a bookshop, or listen to the podcasts or social media feeds of the proliferation of so-called lifestyle gurus today, you'd find this man's ideas never far from their thinking of how we should live life. In our quest, if you like, for the holy grail of how, of how to discover the secret of how to be successful in life or, or rich in life or how to be happy in life or whatever else how-to that we tend to search after these days. The influence of Aristotle's thinking across our world, both ancient and modern, knows few peers. He's credited with saying these words, to know yourself is the beginning of wisdom. To know yourself is the beginning of wisdom. Contrast those words, if you like, with these. From the man who's described in the most accurate history book of all time as wiser than anyone else. It was said of this man that his wisdom, discernment and understanding was as vast as the sand on the seashore. With his knowledge and skills stretching equally to all aspects of life from botany to zoology, commerce to construction, poetry to music. His empire vast, his treasures bountiful, where people from all nations came to sit and learn at his feet. Still today, you can find his ideas and thinking in a smaller section of that same bookshop and on more select lists of podcasts and social media feeds on how life should be lived. On more than one occasion... Solomon is credited with saying these words. If you want to discover the secret of amongst other things, of a successful family life or how to handle money well or how to conduct yourself sexually or how to exercise leadership correctly or how to use words well or how to treat friends kindly or how to eat and drink healthily or how to live an emotionally healthy life, then the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Solomon's words on the beginning of knowledge and wisdom are in stark contrast to Aristotle. Now, I'm not saying that there's no wisdom in Aristotle's words, because of course there is. Of course, it's helpful and wise to know ourselves, but ultimately, we discover this best through God, our maker's eyes. It kind of leaves us with a choice, which if you like this series from the book of Proverbs that we'll be looking at up to Lent, is one that this book of Proverbs explores for us. One way the book of Proverbs will say, opens a door, opens a door to wisdom. The other it will say, will lead us down a pathway, a pathway to folly and foolishness. At the outset, if you like, of this book, we have the theme of the book of Proverbs, whose core message is just this one verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. To know how is to know God, because in biblical wisdom, to know how to live is rooted in knowing God. And therefore, to paraphrase In contrast, the forsaking of the Lord is the beginning of folly or foolishness. In Proverbs, we'll see these words. 
we translate as knowledge and we translate as wisdom, closely tied together. There is, though, a distinction. Knowledge tends to focus in this book on the correct understanding of the world, of recognizing ourselves as knowing how we are created beings in relationship to our loving God. Wisdom, though, as it's defined in this book, is the practical skill of applying that knowledge. We could say wisdom is about how we live Jesus' words on earth as it is in heaven, in everyday life, whatever situations we find ourselves facing. You see, if you like in the wisdom books of the Bible, the two most wide-ranging are these, the Psalms and the Proverbs. Psalms, if you like, gives us a language. It gives us a songbook to process our experiences, our emotions before God. Lament and pain, joy and praise, which have been so helpful, haven't they, over the past two years. What Proverbs does is it gives us the vocabulary to think, to learn, to study. The practical discipline of centering all our thoughts, all our actions on God. Why? Because to know how is to know God. And the foundational principle of knowing God is the fear of the Lord. It's a choice we all face in life, isn't it? To fear the Lord or to forsake the Lord. Solomon, son of David, we read, king of Israel, found this out early in his reign, didn't he? Know much about Solomon's story? Perhaps as, a, as an early as a teenager, when the Lord appears to him in a dream and says to him, what would you like me to give you, Solomon? Solomon could have asked for anything in that moment. Just imagine being asked that question by God. What would you like me to give you? Long life? Riches? Honor? We read that Solomon asked for an understanding mind, didn't he? To discern good, if you like, from evil. In effect, what Solomon chose was this. He chose to fear the Lord and ask for knowledge and wisdom. And because he did all those other things, riches, honor, no worldly adversary were thrown in, even longer life providing kept fearing the Lord. It's a choice we all face in life repeatedly, to fear the Lord or forsake the Lord. As we may well know, Solomon's wealth and wisdom and fame grew exponentially off the scale. He continued to choose fearing the Lord over forsaking the Lord. He built for God this magnificent building, the temple, from the finest materials and minerals, perhaps in those times, the finest building in the then known world. Then, after its dedication, the Lord once more came knocking at Solomon's door, just like he had right at the start of his reign, to remind him to continue to walk before the Lord in fear and of the many benefits that would result before warning him of the dangers of forsaking him. It's a choice we all face in life. 
even in old age or when we might consider ourselves or be recognized as smart to fear the Lord or forsake the Lord don't let wisdom lead you to wisdom one of Solomon's famous proverbs says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall And there came a time, it happened later in life, when Solomon chose to forsake the Lord. And how the mighty fall. It's perhaps a familiar tale. You see, Solomon couldn't resist. He couldn't resist the most beautiful women in the world literally throwing themselves, salivating at him. It's recorded he had 700 wives and 300 concubines and he clung to them in love despite God's pleas if you like it was only by God's grace did Solomon's remaining life remain peaceful but the resulting dynasty what the history books record is a living representation of that proverb carnage and civil war ruin and destruction it's a choice we all face in all stages of life to fear the Lord or forsake the Lord it's why as verses 4 to 5 of this book of Proverbs reminds us in chapter 1 it reminds us that this book is for you this morning at whatever stage in life you find yourself to teach the inexperienced the ropes to give young people if you like a grasp on reality there's something here also for the seasoned men and women still a thing or two for the experienced to learn what does it mean what does it mean to fear the lord hopefully we realize that it doesn't mean a sense of cringing terror or dread although perhaps there should be a level of trembling that is appropriate when faced with the presence of God to fear the Lord is to be filled if you like with awe and wonder awe at the great Lord and in wonder before the faithful covenant love of God the fear of the Lord if you like is to come to him in reverent obedience As one commentator that I read this week writes, although it includes worship, it does not end there. It radiates out from our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct that sees each moment as the Lord's time, each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty as the Lord's command, and each blessing as the Lord's gift. It's a new way of looking at life and seeing what it's meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. That's what it means to fear the Lord. If we were to go back to that relationship between Psalms and Proverbs, if you like, the Psalms teach us how to throw ourselves upon God in faith. What Proverbs then teaches us is then having trusted in God, how we live that faith out therefore the fear of the Lord flows from and through a relationship with the Lord 
a relationship of faith which is centered upon our hearts, our devotion to God. You see, the reason Solomon forsake the Lord later in life was as the scriptures teach us because his heart had turned away. His heart had been turned. Solomon knew the danger. It's why he wrote in Proverbs 4 verse 23, a proverb so central to life. Perhaps the second most important proverb that there is in this whole book. Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. For from it is where all life starts and where is sustained. That was Solomon. If only, if only, if only. But we know this all too well, don't we? How easy it is for our hearts to be corrupted. How easy it is for our hearts to move God to the periphery. How easy it is for our hearts to forsake and to forget to fear the Lord. That's why we need this book. It's said that if we were to think of the biblical books and think of them in a medicine cabinet, that the Psalms, if you like, would be the ointment. They might be the savalon or the germline or whatever else we want to put on inflamed skin to calm and to heal. Whereas in that same medicine cabinet, what Proverbs would be, would, they would be the smelling salts to startle us into alertness. If the message of the Old Testament wisdom literature is to know how, is to know God. Or the secret to know how to live is to know God, then the message of the New Testament would extend that, wouldn't it? And it would say that then the secret to knowing God is to know Jesus Christ. The one described in our gospel reading as the one greater than Solomon. The one who St. Paul would describe in his letter to the church at Colossae, that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The one who John would describe in his gospel, that in God there is no unchristlikeness at all. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God, who showed us through the folly to many of the cross how the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Nevertheless, the Proverbs we read of Solomon are part of the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is the living breath of God himself. All of it is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that all of us may be equipped, all of us may be proficient, in the faith. After all, when we think about it, we don't ignore the greatest psalm, do we? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, just because Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. So likewise, just because Jesus describes himself as greater, wiser than Solomon, it doesn't mean we don't dismiss the book of Proverbs because Jesus said himself, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. He just simply enriches it. And what verse 2 of this chapter reveals is the purpose of Proverbs. 
They're there for us to grow in wisdom and instruction. They're there for us to understand words of insight. Yes, of how to be wise in everyday life. Yes, of knowing the ability to make godly choices in life. Most certainly of applying Jesus' words on earth as it is in heaven to everyday life, whatever situations we face. And we read in verse 2, if this book of Proverbs truly impacts our lives, the results in our life will be seen in two ways. It will be a life of deep character and a life of straight thinking. Deep character learnt through not only applying correctly the knowledge of God, but also that word instruction, which means, if you like, could be translated discipline. It means kind of the things that we've learnt the hard way, the things that we might have learnt through painful ways and through correction, because we're not born wise. And taken together, those words wisdom and instruction produce this life of deep character, we read, don't we? In verse 4, this life of righteousness, doing things rightly, doing and behaving as God would. A life of justice, a life of equity. But also there's something as well about in the wisdom of a life of straight thinking, of learned behavior that we can grasp what these proverbs mean. These short, pithy statements of practical truth, sometimes universal truth. On other occasions, that truth will be more particular. The insight, if you like, if you like being able to see the wood from the trees, comes from studying and looking at all those different thematic ones together. So let me leave you with three thoughts for how we might apply this book to our lives today. For how we might look at learning from it through the rest of January and February. Firstly, to examine our own hearts and ask, am I fearing the Lord or am I forsaking the Lord? Is there any area of my life where, if you like, God is being treated on the periphery? See, Jesus said in knowing God, in growing in wisdom, it begins and re-begins in humility. Repent and believe. It's how we keep making progress in all aspects of our Christian life, in all aspects of wisdom. For as C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, in God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, if you're always looking down, you cannot see something which is above you. Or in the words of Solomon, you're a fool if you think you're above instruction, too smart for it, too good for it, too busy for it, too old for it, for the fear 
of the Lord is a fountain of life. So where might we need to repent? Because we're living with God on the periphery. We're living and allowing God to be on the periphery of our life. Where might we need to change our mindset or our worldview? Where might we need to come into a deeper, trusting relationship with Jesus? Where might Jesus say to us, your heart is like the scribes and the Pharisees? Secondly, where do we need to read? Perhaps the wisest and most influential Christian of the last 100 years was Billy Graham. As part of his daily routine, he would read a chapter of Proverbs every day. If it worked for him, I think it might work for us. And thirdly, where do we need to reflect? You see, it's said reading Proverbs can be like eating a stick of rock at the seaside. Its impact depends upon how you eat it, doesn't it? You can crunch it or you can suck on it. And reflection is done best through thoughtful meditation. Yes, by yourself, but even better in community. It's why I'm delighted over 20 of us from across the church, it's so rewarding, have decided to gather together through these weeks in community, looking and exploring and reflecting upon this book and what it means to fear the Lord. Because to know how is to know God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.